right now I'm speaking to you through Hope Channel or Hope Channel International or maybe Hope Channel Australia or somewhere on the internet, but, but I am a pastor of a local church. And when COVID hit as a pastor of a local church, I began to worry about my congregation. I worried what would happen to them because I realized something. There was a, it was like my eyes were open to something that had always been there, but I had missed. And that was this, the majority of our church's connection to a church experience, the majority of their experience with the local church happened only in a building one day a week for one or two hours a week, sitting in rows. For some of you, maybe your only experience with church is sitting down to, to watch a sermon presented in some way. And if we didn't have these rows, if we didn't have these sermons being broadcast out to individuals, then many of us would have no experience, concrete experience with the church, the body of Christ. Upon this revelation during uh, COVID, my, my heart grew for a specific mission. And that is for as long as the Lord will have me do so, as long as the Lord will allow me to do so, is to make what Ellen White saw through, through her divine, uh, through her inspired insight uh, as, as a key component of a person's experience with the church. Listen to this statement from a very wise lady, one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ellen G. White. The formation of small companies. Now, she uses this phrase, small companies. In our modern world, we often use the term, and in church lingo, we use the term small groups. Here at Spencerville Church, where I'm preaching from, we use the phrase connect, or the, the term connect groups. But the formation of small companies or, or small groups or connect groups as a basis of Christian effort is a plan that has been presented before me. This is what Ellen White's saying being, is been, being presented before her by one who cannot err. In other words, she was shown this by God. If there is a large number in the church, let the members be formed into small companies to work not only for the church members, but for believers also. And then later, in another place, she wrote this. The blessing of the Lord will come to the church members who participate in the work, gathering in small groups daily to pray for its success. Thus, the believers will obtain grace for themselves and the work of the Lord will be advanced. People, when they gather in small groups, in small companies, will bless those within the church They'll bless themselves and they'll bless those outside the church. Here is my vision. Every one of us, every one of you, everyone in my local church, young and old, connecting with Jesus and with one another 
in what we here locally are calling connect groups, or maybe in a Sabbath school class that is, that is living and breathing and functioning like a healthy small group or connect group, and that all ministry for one another and for unbelievers flows out of these smaller groups. As I heard one pastor of a very large church say, we are famous for how many people are sitting in our rows, but the strength of our church is what happens in circles. Right now, most of our churches, right now, most of what we do is mainly about what happens when a singular person stands up front and does most of the speaking. And we sit and listen in rows or in a chair. Sitting in rows, singing praises to Jesus, hearing a great message needs to be the cherry on top of the cake. But the cake, the icing, the sprinkles, the fruit, whatever you put on your cake needs to be experienced in the circles of our church. I pray that over the next several sermons that I'll be preaching, that you'll be encouraged to start, to facilitate, to participate in some sort of group. Maybe you don't have any connection to a local church. I would encourage you to find a local church and, and connect with one and find one that has small groups. Uh, maybe you're here locally in the Washington, D.C. area. Come and connect with us at the Spencerville Seventh Avenue Church. Maybe there's no church near you and you're not sure what to do. Reach out to us. We, we would like to have some groups online as well that we could connect people to. But I'll pray you'll be encouraged to be a part of some sort of group. Because who Jesus calls us to be, and this is what I'm going to show you in the sermon, happens primarily in circles and not sitting in rows. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26, it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In this passage, there is a two-word phrase that is repeated twice, and that's why I use this text. What is it? Let me read it to you again. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The two-word phrase is one another. It is a singular Greek word, though, the Greek word alelone. This word is written 100 times in 94 different New Testament verses. Now, when I was in seminary and, and in my theological training, I was taught that, that when something in the Bible is repeated over and over again, that, that pay particular attention to that. That might be a key theme in the Bible. This one, another phrase, 100 times in 94 different verses, and 59 of those occurrences of the one another phrase are part of specific commands teaching us how to and how not to relate to one another. These 59 commands I've broken into four groups. About a third of the, of the one another commands focus on unity, which we're going to be talking about in the future. A third focus on Christian 
love, we're also going to talk about in the future, 15% focus on humility, and we're going to speak to that today. And then the fourth group are a varied hodgepodge of instructions, including several about kissing one another, although I would advise you to be cautious with how you interpret those. 59 commands in the New Testament for how to relate or not to relate to one another. Now, I want you to hear a key word that I just said there. These are commands. They're they're in the imperative, the absolute voice in the New Testament. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, and I real quick want to invite you to go to the link that's on the screen, and there are some sermon notes with this sermon. So if you go to that link, you can download those sermon notes or you can print them off, and, and, and there are some sermon notes to follow along with uh, as you watch this. But there in your sermon notes, or you can look in your Bible, in John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, now I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and, and as Adventists, we may be a little quick to narrow this down to simply the Decalogue. When Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, we think about the Ten Commandments, the, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And, and, and I must admit that we as Seventh-day Adventists might be even quicker to read this and think specifically of, of one of those Ten Commandments, and that is the Fourth Commandment, which reminds us that God calls us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But we may not be quick enough, though we should, to apply this to all of God's commands, especially the commands that come through the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to be mindful of the Ten Commandments, but we also must be mindful of more. The same chapter, John chapter 14, also there in your sermon notes. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. Listen to what Jesus said. So Jesus first in John chapter 14 and verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And our minds can go to the idea that this is just speaking of the 10 commandments. But but Jesus expounds on this because in John chapter 14, the exact same chapter and verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you here is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. What is Jesus saying? Yes, we are to honor the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath commandment. But it is also the words of Jesus that that demonstrate our love for him, that, that, that are a revelation to the world that we are in love with Jesus. And Jesus said he spoke those words while he was with us. In other words, the, uh, the, the thoughts and the, and the ideas that he shared while he walked on this earth, what we have in the Bible, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those books of the Bible, Jesus again and again said, love one another. 
by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's this idea of one another. The one another texts are in the Gospels as well. So it's the Decalogue. It's the words of Jesus. But then Jesus expounds on, on the commands, on the directions that we should be following even further. Just two chapters later in the same book, John chapter 16 and verse 13, again there in your sermon notes, Jesus said this, when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit he's speaking of here, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he, that's the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. In other words, there are going to be further inspiration that will be given through the Holy Spirit. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So now, if you love me, keep my commandments, is the, the Ten Commandments, the, the Decalogue of God in the Old Testament. It's the words of Jesus, what he spoke and what he, what he shared while he walked on this earth. And it is also whatever the Holy Spirit inspires as truth that we have received through the writers of the New Testament scriptures. If you love me, keep my commandments. So when we read the imperatives, the commands, the instructions, the absolutes that Jesus calls us to live by, the one another commands in the Bible, they are just as much a part of walking with Jesus as remember the Sabbath day. But get this. Here's one of the big things about the one another commands. They are best fulfilled. Hear me. They are best fulfilled. In fact, I would say they are only fulfilled and lived out in relationship with one another. In other words, I cannot truly obey the 59 occurrences of the one another commands in isolation. I cannot obey the 59 occurrences of the one another commands. I cannot show my love for Jesus by honoring the one another commands by simply sitting in rows. Something has to change. Why do I say this? Because the alelon word in the Greek is what's known as a reciprocal pronoun. What does that mean? That means that, that, that this word, one another, this phrase, one another, is describing something that requires a mutual exchange between different individuals. In other words, it requires relationship. Love is not grown in rows or sitting by ourselves. It's grown in circles. Humility, as we'll look at today, it doesn't grow in rows or sitting by ourselves. It grows in circles. Unity with other believers does not grow sitting in a row or walking out quickly after church or sitting by ourselves. It grows in circles. Today, we're going to look at humility and see that humility is something that we need other believers to grow in. Our need for humility. 
the first reason why we should join or seek out a small group of believers to connect with. In your sermon notes, I've given you eight one another texts related to humility. They're in the ser sermon notes. Humility grows in circles, not rows. They're on the second page. I want you, if you have those by chance, to real quick look at that list. Don't challenge or envy one another. Galatians 5.26, what we just said. Wash one another's feet. Give preference to one another in honor. Live in harmony with one another. On and on and on. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The list goes on and on. We cannot obey these commands, and I think if you read that list, you'll realize this. We cannot obey these commands, demonstrating our love for Jesus, if we are not connected in close relationship with fellow believers. And let me pause and say for a second that, that in some ways our, our spouses or our children don't count. They count because every relationship would be improved if we live by the one another text. But the context, the context of every one another passage is, is written to groups of people that are part of a church community, that are part of the body of Christ. There are some that relate specifically to marriage and, and, and where that is the case, Paul or, or Peter or Jesus indicate that. But, but if they were all meant for marriage, then Peter and Paul and Jesus would have all said, in your marriage, do this with one another. In your marriage, live like this with one another. But, but all of these, almost all of these are expressed in the context of how to live in relationship to people that are not your family, but a part of your community of fellowship, your church, other believers. Take, for instance, the, sec the third one there on your list. Outdo one another in showing honor. Some of your Bibles will say, give preference to one another in honor. Paul wrote this to a group of Jesus followers in Rome. There's a pastor by the name of Greg, Craig Rochelle. And he believes that honor is shown to fellow believers simply through the act of getting to know things about them. It shows honor to someone. How do we honor people? It shows honor to someone to know their name. It shows honor to someone to, to know their birthday. It shows honor to someone to know their likes and their dislikes. It shows honor to someone to, to celebrate them being in your life. But this all takes process. When I meet someone, I learn their name, but I don't immediately learn their birthday. When, when I meet someone and I know their name and maybe I'm invited to a birthday event, I don't immediately know their likes and their dislikes. When I meet someone and I know their name and I know their birthday and I know their likes and their dislikes, I don't immediately know all their opinions or what they struggle with. When I meet someone and I know their name and their birthday and their likes and their dislikes and I start to learn their opinions and what they struggle with, I also begin to invite them into my life. And I begin to appreciate them and what they contribute to my life. This is honoring someone, but this is also growing 
in humility. Outdo one another in showing honor. It means rather than me thinking that I need to be the one honored, I am showing honor to someone else. Also, I grow in humility because when I take the time to get to know people, what I'm doing is I'm saying that this person is as valuable as myself. As valuable as myself. When I invite people to to be a part of my life to the point where I'm celebrating them being a part of my life, I'm showing humility and recognizing that, that, that their opinion of me matters. Regard one another, one of the other passages, as more important than yourselves. Y'all, I need humility in my life because I don't often regard others as more important than myself. I am not naturally, nor are most people, if we are really honest, an others, others first kind of people. We ask questions like, why should I do that? Or they haven't done that for me. Or I'm always the one putting forth the effort in this relationship. But, but, but when we get in these relationships, we begin to grow in humility. A reciprocal pronoun, something that takes some mutual exchange. This cannot happen sitting in rows or sitting by ourselves enjoying a sermon. It can only happen in relationship with fellow believers. You know, humility, to grow in humility is so important for our walk with Jesus. In fact, humility seems to be a major characteristic, one of the defining characteristics of those who are preparing for the second coming of Jesus. Andrew Murray the great author on prayer says that, that humility is the defining characteristic that is the foundation of all the other fruit of the Spirit. Because it was humility that, that led Jesus from heaven. It was humility that put Jesus on the cross. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what's humility is important for us. Jesus tells us in his word, in the Bible, and again, this is in your study notes. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That's from the NIV version. And then from the New Living Translation, this is one of the, the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. You might be more familiar with it this way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Folks, living in the last days, who will be lifted up? Those who are humble. Who, who will inherit the kingdom of God? Those who are humble. We don't earn salvation. But those who have received salvation have, have grown in humility in circles, not just simply by sitting in rows. But you know why I want to be humble most of all, not just because somehow it gets me some reward. But I want to be humble because Jesus 
modeled humility. Because Jesus was so humble, as I, as I stated already, as Andrew Murray says, it's this foundational characteristic of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, listen to what this says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the the, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last and everything in between. Jesus, who is in heaven, in perfection, humbled himself and came down to this earth. And what do we see when he walked this earth? When we read the Gospels, we don't see a man that mainly just stood in front of people sitting in rows speaking. No, we see a man that, that, that gathered a group of 12 around him, a small group around him, and some women around him, which was unheard of in that day to be a part of his inner circle. And he walked with them, and he talked with them, and he laughed with them, and he ate with them, and and he slept on the ground next to them. Jesus, with this group of people, illustrated that this is what it looks like to be a servant of God. To do life with one another. To live in humility with one another. Jesus reminded us that humility grows in relationships which happens in circles, not in rows. Here's my appeal for you today. Here's my appeal to you today. I want you to invite you to make the primacy of your church experience a circle, not a row. I want to tell you something that I couldn't say prior to COVID. Prior to COVID, I could not say this. But during COVID, my wife, who was already in a small group, she encouraged me to start a small group. So I started a small group with a group of men. We also, as a family, started a small group. This fall, I'm actually going to be in a third small group. So I'm going to have three different small groups. And here's what I can tell you 100% true. If I had to give up the joy of sitting in a large room with hundreds of people singing praises to Jesus, if I had to give up preaching, if I had to choose actually between sitting in a room, just sitting in rows with a bunch of people, or, or if I had to give up, or if I had to choose, I'm going to start that again. Now, folks, I want to tell you something that I could not say prior to COVID. But during COVID, as we were all separated and we were needing community, my wife, who was already in a small group, encouraged me to start a small group. And so I joined a small group of men. And and then uh, we started a small group as a family together. And this fall, I'm actually starting a third small group. So I'm going to be in three small groups. And if I was forced to make a choice between sitting in rows or 
even being the preacher standing in front of people speaking and those circles that I have formed during COVID, if I had to make a choice between, between the singular experience of sitting in a church and listening to a sermon or speaking a sermon, if I had to make a choice between that and being a part of a small group, I would always choose a small group. Because what I've discovered is this, I cannot truly honor the commands of Jesus. I cannot demonstrate to the world that I love Jesus. I cannot demonstrate to the, to the, to the realms of heaven that I love Jesus through the 59 one another commands by sitting in rows or by preaching a sermon. I can only do that in circles. I hope I don't have to choose because I love both, but if I had to choose one or the other, I would choose the smaller circle where I truly learn how to grow in humility. I wanna invite you to make groups and not rows, relationships and not listening to a sermon, the primacy of your relationship with Jesus. Our mission, all of us preparing for the last days of this earth's history, preparing for the future glory to come in circles with one another because truly the strength of the body of Christ will grow in circles and not in rows. Lord Jesus, help us to find those relationships that we need, to find a local community where we can grow in relationship with others so that we can truly live out who you have called us to be through the 59 one another commands. I pray all this, Jesus, and I thank you for using relationships to grow us in humility. In your name I pray, amen.